0: Hello, all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callan. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today, we are going to be reviewing the Bond film Spectre. Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary? Sure. A cryptic message from
1: 007's past sends him pitted against a mysterious terrorist organization called Spectre and learns of its involvement in previous events of his most dangerous missions.
0: Okay, so let's uh, share our own summaries of Spectre in true sweet tradition. And then before we really dive into the episode, I think it'd be interesting and fun to talk about how we feel about the bond franchises in general. Are we fans? Are we not fans? We, we often do this with, uh, films we review that are very much part of a big franchise. So, uh, Sarah, what was your summary for Spectre?
1: Uh, my summary is James Bond does 1984.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Very true. Which we will definitely be talking about, um, in this episode, so it's it's funny. It's I'm always intrigued when we choose different things to harp on in our uh, in our summaries because it always is pretty fascinating. Uh, mine was very different. My summary is two hours and a half of spoon-fed Bond cliches. <laughs> oh, <it's> so accurate. <laughs> All right. So how do you feel about the Bond franchises and specifically how do you feel about Daniel Craig's Bond? Um, I am a fan of
1: James Bond. I, I grew up watching James Bond films and they're just they're fun. You know, a, a guy is going on this dangerous mission against these criminals and, you know, he has fun gadgets and it's it's a good time. Um, I wasn't I I wasn't sure about Daniel Craig uh, (laughs) when they first announced him. Um, You know, we had just had Pierce Brosnan. And, you know, to me, he seemed so much more like Bond than uh, Daniel Craig. But then I saw Casino Royale and I had to eat my words because (laughs) that is one of the best Bond films out there. And it's definitely, in my opinion, the best Daniel Craig film. Bond film out there Um, I could watch Casino Royale and I have over and over and over again Um, so it's been it's been enjoyable to watch him kind of take this franchise in a in a different direction and I think uh, because he's maybe a more unorthodox Bond uh, they could have a lot more fun in some respects with the the plot lines and and some of the things that they're able to do uh, in -hmm. these films.
0: Yeah, I am also a big Bond fan. Um, I agree with you. I think there's some really interesting things that the franchise has done with Daniel Craig's Bond. A lot more moodiness and serious tones that they've woven in. Pierce Brosnan is one of my other favorite Bonds, so they're like Complete opposite sides of the spectrum as far as like Pierce Brosnan being this really playful, lighthearted, smooth type of bond. And Daniel Craig, for especially a lot of the action sequences, he's not particularly um, smooth, but he is clever. And it's fun seeing how they weave those into some of the action sequences. Um, so I love getting to see that. I, I mean, You can't say no to a dude in a slick suit being very competent and saving the world. I don't, can't say no to that at all. I will take that any day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so what were your thoughts on Spectre? Initial thoughts.
1: Um, Well, I feel like this might need just a little bit of backstory. We, We came up with the idea of you know, wanting to do another review, another James Bond film. But we, we were going through the list of all the Daniel Craig uh, Bond films. There's only four of them. Mm-hmm. And yet I couldn't remember <laughs> I <thinking> which one <laughs>
0: Spectre was. Um, I kept asking, is that the one with the Day of the Dead parade? <laughs> I was thinking Cause... about that the whole time, because honestly, that is the most memorable part about this whole film. Yes. That is my absolute favorite
1: part of it. And it was the only thing that I remembered from when I saw it before. That and the ending. And as I was watching, I didn't even remember the ending. I just remembered the Day of the Dead Parade. I knew nothing else about this film. (laughs) And even as I was watching it, I was like, that's why. That is the best part of this film. There's, you know, there's a couple other moments that were also very beautifully shot and well choreographed. But man, that opening was phenomenal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the rest of the film just kind of went downhill from there.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about you when watching this film, especially because- thinking about the pacing of how we start off with so much momentum there's so much promise for the rest of the film it's an interesting set piece they shoot it really well um, and there's a lot of excitement and then we kind of lose steam and it reminded me a lot I was just getting deja vu the whole time of when we were talking about Mad Max Fury Road two very different kinds of films, but it was a mm-hmm. similar comment that you had made around the opening scene. The whole opening, like, 20 minutes of that film is so mm-hmm. strong in that first uh, car chase, and then it just never maintains that momentum. and starts to begin to fizzle out, and we're just trudging along by the end is the comment that you made. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think there's a lot of similar things that can be said about this film as well. Yeah, I...
1: I think for me, the the problem that I identified was that they tried to do too much. and so then everything felt thin to me. I There wasn't really anything for me to like um, like really grab a hold to to make my way through this movie. it was mm-hmm. it was very much like, oh, and now we have to go here because this guy told us to, Oh, now we have this thin lead to this other thing. Okay. I guess we're going here now. Like there wasn't a lot of cohesion and mm-hmm. it, it felt like they were, they were over ambitious. So they weren't able to do the things that they wanted to do super well.
0: Yeah. Which in, in theory could have worked really well to see the way that the previous three films were being woven together with this uber uh, villain who has been connected the, with all of the, the other villains this whole time. Like, I think there could have been some interesting things that they did. And I think that was probably the intention that they set out to have. But I don't think it landed well. Maybe part of it is how they revealed that. Um, or there was, I think like you mentioned, there wasn't a central goal and there wasn't a central... Um, struggle factor that kept create was creating this tension the whole time um i i've for a lot of films i think you can easily pinpoint what those are and for this one i couldn't quickly tell you um, the main goal and the main um, struggle that is causing them trouble to reach that goal yeah i wish that they would have set it up a little bit differently and i
1: wish that they wouldn't have made Andrew Scott's character so central to the plot. I feel like that's where they wasted most of their time with, you know, him building the nine eyes, whatever, whatever, instead of really, really focusing on Christoph Waltz's character Mm -hmm. and really making him the central villain. Um, And and I think that they even could have done... And it might have been too cheesy to go this route, but like in other films, like you'll see, they'll do like fake flashbacks and you'll see Christoph Waltz like in the middle of the action, even though he wasn't there in the original films, like there could have even been an opportunity for those kind of things so that they could really show you that he was there and pulling the strings. Um, I don't know. I feel like they could have just done more and used their
0: time more wisely Mm, yeah. Yeah, you're right. We are kind of split between both of those two villains. It's a similar thing that we were talking about in our Gemini Man episode of, are we invested in Will Smith's character? Or are we invested in Junior? And the the fact that we don't have a central one to follow or a central arc to follow kind of makes neither of them be effective. And I think they also try to weave in some kind of backstory of uh, Bond and Mm -hmm. Christoph Waltz being brothers, which could have been really interesting and it's a little bit cheesy, but that could have been a, a cool moment of tension and him discovering this, but it kind of was just like tossed in there and then we never really revisited it again. Um, And I think the foreshadowing was also a little bit too obvious for us as well. So it, it, we didn't have to work for it. But yeah, I mean, I, they really didn't unpack that whole bit at all either.
1: I know that would have been so interesting. And I, I so loved that, uh, the character was dead and, Mm -hmm. you know, Bond was the only one that knew that he was alive. I was like, Ooh, yes, let's keep that going for a little while. Like I, I loved that his most loyal supporters were doubting him Mm -hmm. and, I think that they could have exploited that a little bit more than they did.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. What were your thoughts about Christoph Waltz as the villain?
1: Ah, uh, he's wonderful. <laughs> I always want him to play the villain. He's great at it. <laughs> I just—he's so classy and like put together, and he's—he's he's like a likable, sinister guy, which is very impressive to pull off. So I wish that there had been more of him and more opportunity for him to, to really just
0: shine in this. Yeah. I, I thought there were some really great things that they did with him, his eerily calm, cheery nature Mm -hmm. and the, the smiles that had, were saying so much behind them. Uh, were very different from a lot of the villains that I think we typically get from a lot of Bond films. Um, and I think he didn't get to shine as much as he probably could have. So there was potential. I think it was well done, uh, but I, we wanted more.
1: Yes. Yes, most definitely. I was, And as I was watching, I was like, oh, well, no wonder I didn't really remember that he was in this movie, because <laughs> he wasn't in it. For a lot mm-hmm. and that was
0: that was a shame I feel like that was another missed opportunity yeah and I think the this the portrayal of C felt very much like how most of the villains often are they're conniving they're um you know power hungry they you know that they're clearly the bad guy and yet Christoph Waltz just had this really great um tone to his um, villainy and I I think it was it was a lot more effective than the normal standard vanilla villains that we get so I need you
1: to watch Inglorious Bastards
0: yes Uh, I know he was in that and I was reading a couple reviews and they kept mentioning him yeah yeah
1: like he brings (sighs) that same um (laughs) I, he's he's so sinister, but he's so funny in in inglorious bastards and he plays this evil evil character that you just cannot like, but he does it in such a way that you're like i I might like you in a different context. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and it really just shows how phenomenal an actor he is so okay, so one day when I'm ready to just uh... Watch some Gore. I'll, I'll turn it on. There's there's one scene
1: in particular that's really rough in that movie. Uh, it's the it's the scene where Brad Pitt is introduced. I would I would shield your eyes for that okay. one. But other than that, it's not too bad. It's pretty so the tank. minute I
0: see his face, I just skip forward five minutes. <laughs> Good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because that it, that first one's rough. I think other than that, it's okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. One day, one day we will have a inglorious Bastards review (laughs) on the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. It may be our 500th episode, but... uh... (laughs) I'm here for it. (laughs) So I... uh, Before we continue on in this episode and I point out all the things that I didn't like about it, I have to say, as many problems that I found in this film... This is one that I really still enjoyed so thoroughly. I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of um, issues with the pacing, the character development. A lot of it's really cliche. Um, but overall, I had a grand old time and I loved <laughs> it. I've, I've got to say, like, it's one of those, like, it's not good, but it was a whole of a hell entertaining uh, two hours and a half. And I think a lot of that has to do with I, I just loved getting to see Bond in action and all of the ways that they included tiny little moments that um, make continue to make him a really powerful and a appealing character to us as audiences. Like, regardless of the, the plot development, the character development that they had for him, I think... Um, worked well. And for some of the other Bond films, he's often, he's so much more than just this really smooth, competent, capable, um, guy and spy and good at his job and does it with class and style. Like I think there were so many scenes in this film that gave us little moments deeper beyond just that surface level flair um some of the ones that i'm thinking about are the uh moments that he had with um whatever the heck her name is madeline swan and you you were i think we're about like 45 minutes into the film at this point and you've seen him be strong and capable and confident and dedicated to the mission but he reveals these like softer little moments and they're not obvious, but they are enough for us to really find him endearing. Um, So for example, when they're in the hotel and I think they're like breaking apart the hotel to find the secret room where they, they find all of um, her father's photos. He says something along the lines of like the only reason your father's heart was beating was you. And, you also see the moment where he discovers the Vesper tape and he you can see that pain there. And I think all of those tiny moments helped make Bond, this Bond specifically be a lot more of a three-dimensional character that we are rooting for, that we connect with, beyond the awesome flair and style and class and shooting people up stuff that we obviously love.
1: See, I have a hard time... Um, connecting emotionally with Bond, (laughs) because in, I don't know, a like, what, like 10 minutes before, he was sleeping with another chick whose husband had just died, like, yeah, that's cool that that you loved Vesper, that's great, good for you, but, I mean, you're just shagging every girl that moves, so (laughs) you're gonna be... Shacking up with this chick in
0: about twenty minutes, so you're not I wrong. Just, but there's I, there's this. T- <laughs> <laughs> I will defend him to I We <laughs> <laughs> Or the moment where I, this is another moment that I jotted down of him wanting her to look away from um her father killing I himself. I did like appreciate those that. Where you're just like he comes off uh, as this super tough dude who's just cold-hearted dedicated to his job but there's these tender moments and they're subtle and they're small but they they speak volumes i i know you disagree with me but <laughs> we can we can debate this no
1: i did appreciate that moment where he didn't want her to watch that it's like oh that's that's kind of you that's nice <laughs> job that's considerate (laughs) yeah I was like oh you're a human being
0: good job yeah I I thought that it made him a lot more um endearing and I think it also is why I'm so frustrated by the ending which we can talk about maybe a little bit later but uh he's not just style he's not just competency the same way that you know, like, for John Wick, for example, we don't connect with John Wick the same way that I think we do in this film, or at least I don't. Um, I'm also thinking about, oh, gosh, I don't remember the character na- character's names, but Henry Cavill in The Man from U.N.C.L.E., like, it's just pure style and flair. Mm-hmm. And Bond is not. There's a layer to him that we're getting little glimpses of, but it's not too much that it makes him less... Um, less of who he really is you know
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I think that they it's very much a a sign of the times that they are needing to um infuse bond with emotions and Mm -hmm. complexities and all of these things that he didn't used to need to have but I I think that that's um very much where we're going with you know, when you write a hero, you need him to be three dimensional. We're, we're not going to be okay with just, you know, your traditional, oh, I'm just going to shoot him up and that's going to be my job and we're done. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that they'll continue to do that and continue to weave these things into that character, um, which should be interesting in the years to come.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what they do with bond 25. I think it's called no time left to die or something like that. I looked it up afterwards, but um, can we talk about the ending scene? I am itching to talk about it because I'm so (laughs) curious your thoughts about it. The two things that I remembered was from this film. Didn't remember anything else like you. Uh, but I remember the Day of the Dead and I remember leaving the theater after the ending being so frustrated with how they they had his story arc um, tie up in the end. So I'm curious your thoughts about the ending scene, him walking away with the girl, him not finishing the job. What were your thoughts?
1: Well, here's the thing. <laughs> uh, with all of the Daniel Craig, James Bond movies... I really check out during the last third, um, because it's (laughs) It's too too long. It is too too long long to hold my attention. Um, so by that point I was like, oh, thank God it's over. Uh. (laughs) We can just move on. We can move on with our day. Um, Because it just all went downhill. I don't like this chick. I don't care about her. If he wants to go off with her, more power to him. She is not my first choice at all. (laughs) But he seems to like her. So okay, we're gonna go through this whole thing again of oh I'm gonna retire and I'm gonna leave the job for this woman blah 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 blah. No you're not. You're gonna come back and you're gonna do the job again. So it was it is what it is. It was their <laughs> choice. I disagree with it, but
0: say lovey, we get another Bond film. Oh I was so frustrated by the ending. <laughs> I'm telling you. I came out, I saw it with a friend, and I went on this whole hell of a long rant about it. <laughs> yes. First of all, I think it's way too soon uh, to do the whole I'm going to retire again and try it with another girl thing. I yeah. think it was really effective in Casino Royale uh, mm-hmm. with him really questioning his life and his his dedication to his job and wanting something beyond that, wanting that companionship and relationship, I think that was really awesome to explore I also loved that they resolved and tied that up in that film by her dying and him having to come back to the mission and Mm -hmm. I loved that but we did get that little um, few scenes of deviation and him really like trying out the normal life I think it's way too soon to try and do that again and the emotional weight of it doesn't carry anymore because the the girl in this film is not Vesper and we already know mm-hmm. that that bond that he has with her is so strong. Like, it doesn't make sense that he would move on so quickly already or maybe he's trying to fill the void and hurt of Vesper with this other girl and just like, okay, let's try it again. Uh, but I, I didn't love that they ended the film with him choosing to walk away from completing his mission and walking away with the girl. I mean, there's, it was a, it was kind of obvious and a little bit too spoon fed from um, my liking, but the whole uh, M is on one side and the girl is on the other side of the bridge. Oh and my he gosh. Is Ugh. looking left and he's looking right. And um, which this one will gross. he choose? Like it's, it's a little bit too obvious and handed to us on a silver platter. So I did not love that. But it's not in his character to mm-hmm. abandon the mission and walk away with, his, with, because of his personal desires. And I think it really deviates from all that we love and what we know and what is consistent about Bond, which is that he is fiercely dedicated to his country and serving his country and this life that he has chosen. And I was thinking a lot about the way that they ended Captain America's arc in Endgame mm-hmm. was also frustrated with the fact that Captain America also <laughs> abandoned ship to like go live this idyllic suburban life with Peggy. Okay, uh, what about the rest of the universe? It's it fine. It was a little bit different with Cap. Yes, because he had already for for it for so long and had done his time, and they were ending his character arc entirely with that and passing on the reins exactly he had somebody else
1: to pass the job on to
0: yes exactly and we're not going to see chris evans as captain america in that role anymore and my first thought when this film ended again watching it the second time around was how are they going to pick this up in bond 25 are we going to get like Mm -hmm. that two minute little intro sequence where you see them fall apart or are they going to dress it at all the heck knows but um it'll be really i'm really actually quite curious to see how they bring him back to the mission and how they deal with the relationship that he has with whatever the heck her name is madeline swan and here's the good part of him being selfish and
1: abandoning his mission christoph waltz is going to be back in the next movie so (laughs) there's the win for everybody Mm. But I, I do agree. I think, I think it's, it's trying to you know redo a storyline that they've already done. I also think that they made that decision um, as an out for Daniel Craig because he repeatedly had talked yeah. about not wanting to do another Bond film. He was not on board for Bond 25 at all. And I think that this was a way to try and give this character a happy ending um, That's true. because Craig wasn't supposed to do it again. Um, but I, I can see how that would have been super jarring, especially when this came out, because yeah didn't, didn't Casino Royale come out in, like, 2008? Oh, I don't remember. I think it was somewhere around there. I could be wrong. But this was... I mean, just a handful of years. 2006. Yeah. Okay, so it was nine years, right? Yes. Yeah, nine years before this came out. So it's still relatively fresh in people's minds. It is one of the best Bond films ever made. And so I, I feel like to, to redo that was probably a foolish decision. I feel mm-hmm. like they could have done it and given him a good, good out with a tinge of happy ending um, maybe in a different way other than riding off into the sunset with this girl and retiring again.
0: Yeah. And see, this is where I wonder if this says more about my frustrations with this is more about me than the actual choices they made themselves. Because to me, uh, a, a great ending to his arc is not to give him this really normal classic ending of riding off the sunset like this is it's not in par with what we respect and admire and love about bond and the the way that he operates and what makes him great you know and yeah i I can see how maybe that could have the intention was to give him this cat happy ending the way that similarly the way that they did with cap of like this is something that he's wanted and struggled with for so long of the trust issues and putting up walls and never thinking about if there was another life for him so let's have him explore it and then um, make this worthwhile for him and this is what he's going to choose but so much of what's baked into bond and what we love about bond is that he is for queen and country he is dedicated and fiercely loyal to serving his country and for so many of the moments that we love about him is that he will not bend to that and he will not um forsake that for his own benefit I mean all those sequences I can't remember which films they're in right now but the torture scenes and all of that like Mm -hmm. what we love about him is that he is so fiercely dedicated and he will not waver and so to see him do it with this just feels weak and it doesn't feel in alignment with the things that we love about him. And especially with, as you mentioned, a character that
1: we just don't give a crap about. Like, <laughs> I don't care yeah. about this chick. Like they the way that they created Vesper was so intentional. Eva Green was such a strong, um, presence on the screen. And she was, she challenged Bond at mm-hmm. every turn. And it was wonderful to finally see a woman like standing up to him and it's great. And in inspector, this chick is like, Oh, I'm not going to sleep with you. Sit in the chair. And then 20 minutes later, she's like, Oh my gosh, I love you. Like, yeah. what? no, yeah. I don't care about you chick. So I think there wasn't the emotional weight either of, oh, okay, he found somebody that he really could spend the rest of his life with, somebody who is worthy of settling down with
0: him. Hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Like, without, if we're not thinking about this in terms of some screenwriter somewhere wrote this into it, like, my, if I saw, like, one of my friends that, like, did made the same decisions as him. My thought would be, you're trying this again, but it's not with the right girl, and you're just trying to like try it again for the <laughs> sake of trying it. You're filling this with that uh, this new chick, and I don't think it's gonna work. It could've worked the first time, but just wait for the next one. That's right, you know? Uh, so it it just it feels <laughs> empty and it feels a little bit um, a little bit thin. Agreed. See, now I'm just
1: thinking about if James Bond was my friend, what advice would I give him? (laughs) I'd give him the name of a therapist and I would point him towards a doctor because he must have some sort of venereal disease. (laughs) And he needs to go to a rehab clinic and stay there uh, because he probably is an
0: alcoholic as well. So
1: (laughs) we have some serious trauma therapy to work through
0: and uh, lots of meds. To, so your first uh, inclination is not to give him re- relationship advice. That seems to make sense. <laughs> Might agree I'm with like, you. Let's let's fix all of these other things first, and and then let's
1: let's let you be alone for a little while, and then maybe you'll meet somebody, <laughs> and we can go over relationship <laughs> advice because uh,
0: there's a lot to unpack there. I love when you give uh, healing <laughs> advice to these really larger than life assassins because now I'm just imagining all of them lined up in front of you and you're just like, well, buddy, this is what I would uh, prescribe for you. You did this with John Wick too. His concussion needed to be addressed.
1: Poor Keanu. He's just been concussed for so many movies. Give the guy a break. (laughs) Uh,
0: Welcome to Sarah's assassin therapy clinic. (laughs) We've got all of the advice for you. Please come join and listen.
1: (laughs) Oh, Oh, man, that would go over real well.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So one of the things that you had mentioned that we haven't quite started talking about yet, but I think is really interesting and fascinating that was baked into this film is the topic of surveillance, data privacy, all of the fun things that, my gosh, are still – just as relevant today. Let's start to unpack that a little bit as well. Yeah, it's, it's so
1: interesting to me how this theme of privacy and surveillance has spanned so many years. Um, You know, when I was when I was thinking of my own summary, like, I, I remembered that while I was watching the film, all I kept thinking of was 1984 and how Big Brother is always watching. And it's it's so interesting to me that I don't remember when 1984 came out, but way back then they were concerned about surveillance and privacy. And here we are in 2019 and we're still having the same discussions that we were having decades ago mm-hmm. about you know, how do we, how do we protect ourselves against surveillance and, you know, the ethics and the morality of, of, you know, the government being able to tap into our technology and things like that. Like it is a, it's a very relevant topic and it will continue to get even more and more relevant as the technology gets even more pervasive.
0: Yes. I did not remember that baked into this film from the first time around, but I was so surprised to see it um, so prominently on display here. I was thinking a lot about uh, the Facebook Cambridge Analytica data scandal, mm-hmm. and I, I looked up after watching the film which year that was because I was curious if there were, they were somehow aligned or if Spectre came out after mm. that whole scandal. And in fact, the Cambridge Analytical Scandal was three years after Spectre came out. So Spectre came out in 2015. That didn't happen until 2018, actually, which is really interesting. That was
1: only 2018? Yeah. Oh, God, that felt like forever ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. But Um, who was
1: the guy who... um, Oh, Jesus. He worked for the NSA, and he leaked... All kinds
0: of stuff Snowden.
1: about
0: yeah that one. Mm-hmm. When did that happen? That's a good question. Uh, Snowden. Mm, trying, I don't even know how. Uh, Twenty thirteen, I think.
1: So then maybe it was more based off of and I potentially mean, we yeah. We can't the know, answer. but I wonder because that seems a little bit
0: more in line with the the whole national security agency yeah central intelligence yeah that That's would make sense if that was in 20, if that were in 2013 which we'll have to fact check this afterwards but um, <laughs> that that seems to align roughly with like development timelines for films because this Spectre came out in 2015 so they had about two years mm-hmm. to write and shoot and edit that that might be the case yeah just some wild speculation. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I, um, it was all very relevant because the day before uh, watching Spectre, I had just gotten a phone from my company, and I was going to put my SIM card in, and I was so ready to use it, and then I was like, wait, I should probably call at and and Apple to figure out, will my company now own all of my personal data if I'm using it on a company-given device? Um, but mm, still paying wow. with my personal, my personal cellular plan and everything like that. The verdict is that it's just a container, so they do not own and cannot monitor any of it. But it's mm, good to know. Yeah, but a lot of the um, some of the uh, representatives, of, representatives that I was talking to were like, "Yeah, these are good questions to ask." You, it, we're in a weird time right now. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> so it was all very, very relevant. Um, It's interesting, too, that there seemed to be this tension that was um, presented in the film between like these traditional systems versus, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, the future, as I think C referenced quite often. And it just reminds me a lot of big tech today and how a lot of the marketing and the hype that they build is around... Hey, we're building the future and this is going to be cool and awesome and innovative and groundbreaking and that we need we still need the technology dissenters and those that are wary of it to be constantly checking to see if we are too optimistic about the promises of technology and what it will do for us in the future and how that needs to be in conversation with um all of the ethics and all of that kind of stuff along with it.
1: I also really appreciated that this was kind of like a, a John Henry kind of story, like man versus machine mm-hmm. uh, situation. And of course I'm always going to root for the old school spy craft. Yes. Not the technology stuff. Cause it's so much more fun and it's so much more interesting to me like I was I was all about seeing M just dissenting and like nah I'm gonna do it this way because I know that this works and and just that human component that it's so easy for us to forget you know when we're wrapped up in our technology and technology is great and can be used for great things but there's something about humanness that we bring to the equation that a piece of technology can never replicate no matter how hard people try.
0: Yes. And it was so awesome to see the way they did that through, M um, and some of the lines that they gave him. There's mm-hmm. a conversation that he was having with C and he said something along the lines of when, one of my guys are out in the field, they yes. have to make a snap decision to look this man in the face and be confident to kill. Um, and he was like, can your drones and all of the information that you have ever be able to achieve that? And, mm-hmm. and it was really cool to see how that could serve the plot, but also there was so much meta commentary that was um, playing out there. The thing that I also was wanted to mention is that it's interesting to see the way that different films portray technology differently as well, because mm-hmm. I'm contrasting this with... A lot of the Iron Man movies, or in just a lot of the Marvel films, where with Iron Man, you see a lot of this like quote unquote technology porn of him building a suit and how what what was his what was his little AI system called? Jarvis. Jarvis. Yeah, and how he him and Jarvis were pals and they were building all this cool stuff to like help save the universe and <laughs> a lot of the same themes that exist in Spectre don't don't play out the same way in some of the Marvel films. Um, not quite the same way.
1: Well, and even in the Iron Man films, to be specific, it's usually fighting tech with tech. And yeah. I think it's it's just so much more satisfying to me when it's, like, a human being that outsmarts it with old-school tech. It's, <laughs> I don't know. There's something just so fun about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, which Bond still has all of his gadgets. So I guess that we Mm -hmm. still get a little bit of that technology piece in there. Uh, I cannot help every time Q was on screen to just imagine your reactions to him, because I feel like he is right up your alley and that you were likely a fan of him. I know you love the like genius types that can make the mission happen. And that they're super pivotal in unlocking all of these pieces, but um, I kept thinking about you when Q was on screen.
1: Yeah, he's he's fun. He he always lightens the mood, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I, they they cast his part very well. Yeah, um, and I I just appreciate that he is just this like nerdy nervous guy, and. You know, they, they put him in these really awkward situations and, and just heighten his anxiety and just let him go, uh, which is always entertaining.
0: Yes. There is a really great shot of where they're in Q's lab and they're revealing the car. And mm-hmm. both, I think, James and whoever the heck other sidekick dude that was with him. Tanner. Tanner. Both ha- clearly, I'm great with remembering their names. Uh, <laughs> they both have these like super powerful power stances, and they've got their legs firmly um, established on the ground. And you just see Q's little skinny legs, and and just the way that they're standing communicated so much about uh, their their characters and their um, auras. It was it was one of those little touches that felt so endearing.
1: And I just I appreciate how how sassy Q is with uh, Bond, and mm-hmm. he, you know, even though Bond can pummel him in a second, um, Q still you know pulls one over on him or you know jokes with him. Like it's it's such a fun character, and he brings so much um, for those few scenes that he's actually in.
0: Yeah, totally agree. While we're on the topic of Q, I wanted to talk about not necessarily that final, final ending scene, but the, th- the third act or, like, the final climax scenes. And the fact that Q was able to shut down Nine Eyes' system. Yeah. And it seemed a little too easy. So easy. And I was a little confused. I'm like, oh, we built up all the way for the past two and a half hours, for Q to run some code, and mm-hmm. shut down the system, like it's it, it yep. seemed way too easy. So that didn't feel effective. And then yeah. the other piece was that the overarching goal of saving saving the universe from nine eyes <laughs> was not correlated with what Bond was doing at all. And like, yep. the, both of those goals were completely separate. And so I was so confused by that whole third. sequence because it felt so how like what's the word i'm looking for it didn't feel weighty in any way yeah
1: when uh when m was basically like you're gonna do this and we're gonna go do this and q you're gonna stop this whole thing (laughs) i was like really you got one guy on one laptop and, like, five minutes to shut down this globally linked surveillance system. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Because that's plausible. That's how hacking works. Okay. Also, yeah, their system must have sucked if one genius dude could figure it out over the course of, like, 20 minutes, I think he had. It was a very short yeah, amount of time. I Yeah.
1: I – and, I mean – I am not the most technical technologically inclined person, but uh yeah, I had to call BS on that one when he was hacking in the back of a car. I, was <laughs> like, I feel like that's not how this works. And if this system's surveillance was that or if that system's security was that bad, like we got that wasn't some... gonna last long. <laughs> yep. Yep. Somebody was gonna hack into <laughs> that within minute one. <laughs>
0: And then the other issue that I had with that whole scene sequence was the fact that Bond didn't have to really struggle too hard to find Madeline Swan. I he know. just so happened to hear her. <laughs> oh okay. Like you happened to be in the right spot for the dramatic, like, helicopter looking at you scene. <laughs> and then you found her. Hmm.
1: What What I so appreciated (laughs) and mocked while watching was um, Christoph Waltz's flair for the dramatic. Um, He went through the trouble of luring Bond into this abandoned building. How he did that, I'm not sure, but he lured him well. And then he also took the time and had the foresight to know exactly where Bond was going to enter so that he could appropriately decorate this hallway <laughs> and hide behind a pane of bulletproof glass. That was great. That's, the bullets that's really glass. well thought yes. out. But then he needed to put a cherry on top. So he hid the chick in a room that did not have a wall so that he could watch this whole scene play out. <laughs> like it's, it's so over the top. For a villain that had been so understated the entire movie, (laughs) it was probably the most incongruous portion of it.
0: No, it didn't make any sense. I did love the little touch of him putting uh, all the faces of the previous villains (laughs) on there and putting M on there. Uh, He had to decorate. He had to, you know, it was a themed party. (laughs) (laughs) Complete with, like, um, targets With, oh, here's your face on them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I also couldn't take seriously the whole drilling into your head thing that was going on. And then for whatever reason, if you did this one specific spot in your neck, you would lose your ability to recognize people. But apparently that didn't work on Bond because his neck is made of steel (laughs) apparently (laughs) okay yeah
1: it just it i i hate that they took the brilliance of christoph waltz and they didn't run with it and they just made him so over the top in that last act like No, he's he's subtle and he's understated and that's what made this villain so good is he was he was the the puppet master controlling all of these other over the top villains. Mm -hmm. But he was cool and calm and collected, which he remained throughout the film, but it was just Ugh, it was so much more than (laughs) I wanted. And then the the drilling Mm -hmm. into the neck thing led to the chick saying, I love you and I'm like Oh god, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Like Come Please. on,
0: you just met him like twenty minutes ago. I know. How <laughs> Yes. Uh one of my favorite lines James, I've been the source of all your pain all these years. <laughs> <laughs> with the smirk on his face. Oh, it was great. So cheesy, uh, but man. it's kind of the it's kind of the role that he had to play. I mean, with all the set yeah. pieces. Yep. Okay, other little things that uh, cracked me up, slash made me scratch my head, was <laughs> why is there no anonymous voting in this uh, yes. Nine Eyes voting system? Yes. Because clearly South Africa is not going to be a target. Mm hmm. This does yeah. not seem uh, to make a lot of sense. Oh, and they're, they're giant, giant buttons. Yeah. A green yes <laughs> button and a giant. Uh, red no button.
1: <laughs> Size 400 font Yeah, that you can see, you know, on, five feet On the back. screen,
0: but, like, people aren't in a line. They're, there's people sitting behind you, so they really yeah. know what you're voting. Oh, and it now happens to be 8 to 1, so we know that it was you, South Africa. Watch out.
1: Also, they're using technology to vote, so if they're that technologically inclined... Why not just rig the votes and get your nine votes, and then you don't have to blow up South Africa? Like, I feel like that would have been the simpler solution—just hack in.
0: <laughs> I like that your brain goes immediately to corruption. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a corrupt I mean, figure working yeah. for Blofeld, so why not? Yeah, I mean, in reality, that's probably what would have happened. <laughs> it's it's a lot easier. The voting and probably is probably harder a... to trace. Yeah, the voting is just a a thing it's just for show
1: but yeah that did make me that did make me laugh i was like okay if m can see how you're voting you know that this yahoo next to him can see too
0: yeah and also if you're gonna vote if you're gonna vote no like maybe you should try and like cover it up a little bit or uh, shield your screen with your body yes
1: you know like you used to do when you were a kid and somebody was trying to cheat off you on a test exactly yes Clearly,
0: they took tests differently in South Africa. Clearly, we should have been in the room <laughs> to help let them know. <laughs> so, Isn't the that other our moment... solution for most movies, though. Oh, this is true. Yes, <laughs> uh, we they they actually cut out the scene where uh, Sarah gives Bond some uh, some counseling advice. That's in the deleted Gosh. scenes. That would have been good too. DVD I know set. some good counselors. You know, <laughs> I can hook them up. Just got to come to America.
1: We can can work it out. You
0: can use your uh, healing that you've done for John Wick as a case study for your success. (laughs) it will be great. Because clearly that's worked well.
1: We're going to go into John Wick number four. He's probably still concussed. Probably
0: hasn't taken time to recover. So it's going to be a great movie. No, he's going to start off John Wick four very strong because he went to the Sarah Clinic. It's going to be great. (laughs) So the other moment that um, made me giggle a little bit was when they walk into Christoph Waltz's dark ass room, and there's just this meteor in the middle of the room, and I just, yeah I got I got so much 2001: Space Odyssey vibes, and then he goes, <laughs> touch it, and I was like, oh my god, this is when we can cross link the movies together. Oh. <laughs> my goodness, 2001 Space Oddity will just take over from here. <laughs> Bond Next will become we're gonna the, see. Space, the star child. <laughs> oh, God. oh my lord. See, maybe
1: that's what it is. Maybe yes. the star child becomes James Bond. And that's why he's
0: so awesome.
1: Yes. And he still exists all these years later.
0: It all makes sense now.
1: It's come full circle. <laughs> Look at that.
0: Uh, yeah, so those were two little moments that I was like, this is, this, it was moments where I, I know that if we were watching this together, we would have cracked some joke about it and it would have made it very much enjoyable, but alas, uh, we get to talk about it here. (laughs) So is there anything else about this film that we haven't touched on yet, but that you wanted to call out? Um, I did want to call out how they
1: filmed or where they filmed the funeral scene Mm. because I really appreciated the choreography of how all of that happened. How um, just how they set it up, how they set up the shot. I loved all of the shadows. Those columns were wonderful. And just how little by little they turned all of the crowd away so strategically. like that to me was a moment of brilliance in the midst of just you know like you said bond stereotypes it's
0: like, yeah oh, that's phenomenal in general the cinematography for this was pretty great um mm-hmm. there were some some really great shots where you could really see scale like we get that shot uh Hovering over the water in Austria, I believe, in the snow scenes, and you just see this tiny little house, and you really get a sense for scale. Um, mm-hmm. There was the, just the whole opening scene; the camera oh, movement is beautiful. so great. Yeah, it's. I think it was like a really, really long tracking shot. Uh huh. It was a four-minute tracking shot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so good. That. Yes. So there were some good things mm-hmm yeah. the color palette was also really interesting i was trying to pick up if there were any 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 apparent themes with when they would use the gold tones versus the really um cold bluish grayish white tones i think it it mostly correlated with like are we in this old city and is the tone generally more tense and quiet or is it you know, like, okay, we're moving along. We're making progress. We're gaining momentum. Um, There, I jotted down that the lighting in the scenes where Bond and Miss Swan are in the Le American Hotel and there's this beautiful soft light Mm -hmm. throughout the whole room. And I thought it was really smart for them to change the way the lighting um, was placed in the shot for this moment that was meant to be quiet and soft and an emotional moment for her and also for him as well. I just found the lighting in that, that whole sequence so, so beautiful.
1: The thing that I like that they did with her is I feel like she was a, like a, a vehicle for them to nod to like the classics. And mm-hmm. you know, she has more of that like classical beauty kind of look. Mm-hmm. And the way that they dressed her and did her hair and makeup and all of the things was very um, old school. Uh, and I really appreciated that they had that that older vibe in a film that was so heavily discussing. The influence of technology. Mm. So I thought that that was a fun contrast that they ended up doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, very true. And I think I'm I'm trying to think back to the Bond girls from the previous movies. I do remember there's one um, in Skyfall that was when they were in Shanghai. But yeah, I don't remember a lot of the other ones um, and what their what their looks and vibes were like. But you're right. I got a lot of Casablanca vibes, actually, when they mm-hmm. were um, yep. in that really dusty scene. She's wearing white. Um, yep. Ilsa's wearing white. Uh, yeah. The classic The classic Hollywood beauty traditional look was she embodied that. So she was gorgeous. And that dress, and she's shooting the gun. I'm like, yes, girl. <laughs> but that's about all that she did.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the one. That was her shining good thing that she brought.
0: Yeah, it was her only contribution. <laughs> okay, um, final thoughts on Spectre. Uh,
1: after I finished watching the movie, I had to go back and watch the opening scene again because it was <laughs> so good. So I you know? So this give really is a... a short
0: film for you. It's uh, it... <laughs> it's, a, it's the first 20 minutes of the film, and that's about it.
1: <laughs> just... I didn't even need the first 20. Like, I okay. don't... Up until... I mean, honestly, just give me that four-minute tracking shot again. I'm good with that. Yes. Because it was just so rich, and there was so much to look at. There was so much movement all around, and just... The, the coordination that it took to do that in mm. that large crowd of people was, uh, it was wonderful. I was here for it.
0: And the fact that he was going against the crowd was so yes. smart to do. Oh my gosh.
1: The other thing that I thought was fun, um, still in that Mexico City scene, but after the four-minute tracking shot, was um, during that chase Mm-hmm. how they, they relied on the crowd's clapping and the ambient noise of the crowd as the soundtrack. They didn't need to overlay anything else because their clapping was enough to to get your heart racing during the chase. Mm. I thought that that was
0: also brilliant. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Very, very true. And we don't get dialogue for minutes. Mm-hmm. For a good, like, five to six minutes we don't get any dialogue at all it's pure action yeah and so then when that when he triumphs and he's flying off into the clouds and we get that bond theme it just it feels that much more satisfying you're right because we didn't get any of the soundtrack beforehand mm-hmm. oh, so yeah. good
1: they were so strategic with how they opened it it was wonderful
0: <laughs> i love how i uh ask you your final thoughts on this film when you talk about that first scene if that's, any indi- if that's any indication of what you loved about this film, <laughs> I've got to say, that's great. No, I it just, was really well done. I
1: I appreciated that they put the best stuff in the beginning where I was 100% paying attention and not in the final act when I was just ready for the movie to be over.
0: So thank you, Bond. <laughs> it's nice. I, I, I mentioned many things that I hated about this film, but again... <laughs> I loved – I had a grand old time watching this on a Saturday night. Uh, Perhaps it's maybe because I haven't seen a Bond film in quite a long time. I think the last one that I watched was Casino Royale months and months ago. And so it was just so great to be back with my old pal. (laughs) Um, But I, I honestly feel like a lot of what I love about Bond is usually not the plot anyway. I mean, if you watch a lot of the older ones, the plot's like pretty cliche and thin anyway. But honestly, just seeing him do his thing, watching him be competent, deliver some of those really great lines that like his words just ooze out of his mouth like that's what I'm here for. So it checked off all those boxes. Uh, this is one of those moments where I can forgive a lot of the things that this film didn't do as well because the rest of it just satisfied me in every way. But um, <laughs> I'm excited to see Bond 25 and see what they do next. Um, uh, you best believe we're going to be reviewing it. This is our review and discussion of Spectre. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection and it's something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our Strategic Whimsy Experiment, and we encourage you to find a way to infuse a little whimsy into your day. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review, letting us know your thoughts about Spectre. You can connect with us on Instagram at at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at Strategic Experiment at gmail.com i'm going to do that sentence over you can connect with us on instagram at strategic whimsy experiment on twitter at strategic whimsy or you can email us at strategic experiment at gmail.com we will be back next week to discuss the next installment in the bond franchise no time to die we hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you very soon